0: Come one, come all! It's time for the hashtag Racing Family Show here on Twitter Spaces. Waiting for y'all to come in and join. Look at that—we got some folks in here already. Christy, how you doing? The Racing Family OG herself, who all's gonna come play here. Snoop Medley Med, Chris Medland, hopefully be joining in soon ish uh he's got a little bit of stuff to do there in las vegas came in uh to be part of this announcement so good on chris he was hoping that uh was certainly hoping that eight thirty california slash nevada would work for a time to uh to do this chris of course filing a ton of content for racer.com So, on top of the news, not so much news, but uh, newsy news news of uh, Las Vegas coming into our world in Formula One here, Uh, we're going to talk. So, Chris Medlin, Chris Wheeler, my co-host here, Uh, we've also invited Paul Fanner, founder and owner of Racer Magazine, to join in this conversation. We're here specifically for you, Mr. Medland, knowing that your body clock is probably jacked coming uh, here from the uh, Saudi Grand Prix. But give us a a feel, brother. Give us a feel for the mood of this new adventure coming to Las Vegas in
1: 2023. Well, hopefully everyone can hear me because my mic seems like it's trying to pack in. (laughs) We got you. It it is hyped here. I mean, we're we're stood on what is what the pool level of the Cosmopolitan. So you're looking down the strip at just well a normal, fairly quiet night with all the lights on. And Formula One cars are going to replace road cars down this road. It's just madness. Um, I mean, we knew that there was going to be a race in Vegas. You know, it it was a bit of an open secret for quite a while. But they've been focusing on where they can get the track layout, what they're going to be able to do with it. And I don't think anyone envisaged it being this good in terms of a layout, in terms of a location. Um, they've really planned it well to try and think of good racing as well as a good backdrop. Um, and it's just its just the kind of uh, layout and, and venue that you would sort of dream get in the way and say, well, that's not realistic. So uh, it's incredible. And, and certainly for the US audience, the focus is all on America. It's prime time Saturday night race. Um, it, it's, it's not a case of, you know, sh- screw the rest of the world, but it is very much like, let's not, let's not cut any corners in terms of how we make this work to the American market. Uh, and I think that's a really refreshing look, actually, at how to make the race work. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of excitement here. And um, Stefano is here, Greg Maffei's here from Liberty. That's how big a deal it is. They're going to help promote the race. So, it's, uh, it's a really, really big deal, actually. And, and I've never seen every sign on the strip every neon sign lit up with the same thing but they're all lit up with f1 las vegas 2023 so um it feels nice to be here and see f1 is such a big deal
0: no doubt mr wheeler why don't you say hello let's also say a big thank you to all of you who are joining in at a relatively late hour for one of our hashtag racing family shows brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com
2: MP Medlin, how's it going, gentlemen? It uh, my Medlin, I'm jealous you're there. Hopefully, you get to enjoy some Bobby Flay while you're in the city that never sleeps. But, um, off the top, man, it's it's been a long time since a new idea has been taken to Vegas and open motorsports. Um, obviously, we've talked multiple times and at length about the growing, you know, support for Formula One here in the States. Um, it's going to be mega. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be an event that I don't think you want to miss. And in fact, to save us all a few dollars, Medlin, if you could, while you're at that pool at the Cosmo, if you could just rope off a section for us now, it'll save us quite a bit of money here when the, when the race comes.
1: i tell you, I won't lie. I had a look at booking.com earlier today to be like, can I book a room already for this race? And it doesn't go for, that far forward, sadly. And I have actually spoken to someone here already as well, being like, well, you guys have balconies. It's the only place in Vegas that has balconies. So it's the only place that will overlook the track. And they're like, yeah, but we don't know what we can do yet. We don't know you know, what we're going to have to save for people, what we're going to be able to to sell as normal. So they're, they're still waiting. I mean, a lot of these details are going to be ironed out uh, in terms of like the exact race weekend schedule as well. they still got to work that out. The date hasn't been officially confirmed. I think we're looking at Thanksgiving weekend, certainly the end of November, but it's it's not, finally confirmed yet um but you're right it's just it's just a great sign for f1 in the us that there is this much interest and this much hype and the fact that it's a different type of race as well because you know three races in america is a big step you know we don't have any other country having three races on the calendar and you know there was only one for quite a while here there was a spell when we didn't have a race not that long ago so to be able to go to three you you've got to get it right you have got to get them to all match up and to have something so different to kota so different to miami uh, I think it's a really smart move, actually. And I think what's really cool about it is that they're going to be so identifiable each individual race in America. It's, uh, it's a great time to be kind of...
2: So, Medlin, um, it's my job to play devil's advocate. Uh, um, Marshall can attest that it's actually probably one of my best traits.
0: I usually don't even put the word advocate at the end.
2: Um, and so my fear and it may just be an idea and an opinion do you think because of the expense for a fan to go and properly enjoy a formula 1 weekend at the at the lowest levels do you feel that we could be oversaturating the us market it's growing it's huge everybody knows you know the the growth here but we still we look at things like tv numbers last weekend f1 to nascar nascar was you know 80 higher here still in the states and they're having trouble filling events at a lower price point do you think we could oversaturate here stateside for the fans by now going to three in two of them in high rent cities one of them in a growing population city
1: so i I think i got most of that question i seem to be sort of dropping in and out i'm gonna go and try and get a bit closer to the wi-fi for you guys um I, i don't think it risks it at all i think the fact that you look at this year, you've got Miami joining Cota and, and both are sellouts um, and is only trying to get bigger. I think that shows the appetite there, and it's a sport to go and watch, but I mean, this is a country that that loves its entertainment, loves its sports events that w- will pay that money to go to some of these things. It would be great if if there were better price points at some events. I've seen some of the pricing for, for Miami now because of the demand has pushed it so high, but... I think that's that's actually a good thing. And you've got to capitalise when you've got that momentum. Um, I mean, realistically, without doing it now, when are you going to get an event like Vegas on the Strip happen? When are you going to actually comm- get people to commit to it? Uh, you need to say, right, it's really popular right now. We've got momentum. We're, we're going to go hard at it. So I, I think they've done the right thing in that sense. And yeah, we, we flip it around and look in Europe, and there's 10 races within a much smaller radius distance than across America. Um obviously the the distances between Vegas and Miami are vast. you know there's a big audience that this becomes a little bit more accessible to in terms of just being able to travel somewhere or, or get themselves somewhere. you know the West Coast audience can get here a lot more easily even if it's just to come for the weekend and not actually pay for a race ticket you know to be part of the event uh, um and to to kind of soak up the atmosphere. They might well do that because you know that's not something you realistically would fly across to Miami to do if you weren't going to go and watch the race, but you, you might you might drive for a few hours from l a for example so I, I think all it's doing, as something that and said earlier as well, is it's adding value at the moment. They're, they're, they're seeing that there's a demand for more and they're going with it. And I think until they see it start to hurt any of the races, they'll just keep doing that. Um, who knows? Maybe there'll be more than three in future.
0: Chris, the uh, thing that stands out to me here most of all, which I'd love to hear some feedback on, your thoughts and maybe anything you heard from uh, Greg Maffei, Stefano and whatnot. This is not... A Formula One street race pushed off at the far end of the Strip, where nobody goes, or moved off to some obscure area. This isn't being pushed off to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Roval, and infield and such. This is as prime a real estate as you're going to find in North America. The Las Vegas Strip, a significant part of this uh, proposed track layout, IndyCar back uh, a little more than a decade ago when Randy Bernard was CEO. Randy actually pitched this idea of having an IndyCar race using the strip and got quite a ways to getting buy-off. Didn't get all the way, so it didn't happen. So we ended up racing at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Haven't been back since the uh, obvious unfortunate loss of Dan Weldon in 2011. But the thing I'd love to hear about is this, to me, is a coup. This, to me, is pulling off a Las Vegas Grand Prix, not in a Caesars Palace parking lot like 40 years ago, but holy cow, the, the part, using parts of Las Vegas that never sleeps, never shuts down. This is a massive thing. Tell us your thoughts about that, pulling off the impossible, and also maybe what some of the uh, leadership said about this very unique thing they've done.
1: Yeah, I'm, st- I'm sorry. I'm still getting wife trouble, but I got pretty much everything you said, Marshall. In terms of the location, I mean, it is it's incredible. Really, you're right. It's it's. I don't know if we call it two fingers up to Bernie, but like you say, Bernie managed to get a race at Caesar's Palace car park here, and that's what people remember, and that's what people worry about when they heard there was going to be a, a race in Vegas originally before they seen the track layout. So once they then see where it is. Uh, you know there's just no getting away from it they're gonna they're gonna shut down like you say one of the most iconic roads in america and not only that they're gonna shut it down on a saturday night and they're gonna put floodlights up and they're gonna make the race fit the location they're gonna make it look like it it belongs there alongside all the neon lights and alongside all the resorts and yeah it's it's kind of mad that we're going to be describing corners and overtaking moves with cars going side by side past the bellagio fountain and going There's a great overtaking spot on this track layout that's at the end of the strip as it turns left at Planet Hollywood. And you're going to explain it like that. You're going to explain it based on resorts and these locations that will mean something to people that don't know anything about Formula One. But they'll be able to envisage where something's happening because of the the iconic things that are around. So, um, yeah, I think there was something that the Nevada governor said was that he thinks this could become one of the um, landmark races in Formula One within a couple of years. And, I mean, originally, it's a three-year contract. So, you know, that's a bold claim. But if it gets there, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a lot longer than that. And it shows exactly what they want to do with it. But also, they understand, like, the potential of putting the race right in the middle of the city, not only from a perspective of for people that come here, and that's, you know, just a bit more accessible and cool. But if you're watching on TV, wherever you are in the world, you know, when we do actually take away the fact that this is nailing the American time zone, but anyone watching around the world are going to be tuning in for this race because of where they've placed it.
0: Another thing that comes to mind, Mr. Medland, and welcome to Connor Daly, our mutual friend, IndyCar driver who's listening in. You're someone, Chris, who covers Formula One for a living, but also I know you're a big fan of IndyCar, love IndyCar and whatnot. You've been uh, a pretty strong person bringing news and insights on how Drive to Survive has really made a big impact in opening up the American market in ways we haven't seen for a long time. I'd love this for Formula One. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this lands with Chris Medland, the IndyCar fan, because as someone who makes my living covering IndyCar, I'm stoked as an F1 fan. I'm a little sad for IndyCar because it seems like, yet again, Miami, big street race coming up, and now Las Vegas. It seems like uh, the non-domestic open-wheel series continues making bigger and bigger inroads in ways that uh, the home team, the home series here, maybe isn't. Any thoughts uh, for you along those lines of, wow, yet again, more yardage lost by IndyCar to F1?
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I hadn't really considered it that way, to be honest, because... Because of the way that F1 tries to brand itself globally, compared to the way IndyCar brands itself in the US, I think there's a little bit more of that focus on on the raw racing product that you get with IndyCar, and it's, it's something that you know Connor probably, well, I hope, agrees with. Um, but Pato Award has said to me before as well. It's like you just can't appreciate the size of the show with Formula One. You know, you take away the racing; it's it's everything goes around it. That's incredible. But then. Actually, when you break it down to the quality of racing in the past, IndyCars has had the edge. So and from a driving pleasure point of view, in terms of getting to race, like the fight, yeah, the battles, the quality of the actual on-track racing, being able to win, IndyCar had that going for it. And I think that's kind of got to be something that IndyCar keeps focusing on and targeting. And you know, maybe that means it becomes a little bit harder to then maybe give that up for... A location or something like that. Formula One, just the size of it globally, gives it the power, I guess, to maybe muscle in a little bit more in some of these places. Um, and yeah, I think you just have to look at the international viewing figures, and that's another thing that Vegas is obviously looking at. It doesn't really need to sell itself so hard to an American audience because you know every American knows what Las Vegas is, where it is, what it stands for, what they can do here. And while people do know that internationally, there's going to be some people who don't or who still need to learn it as, as they grow up. You know, without it being on their TV. Then, then maybe they won't be quite so aware or won't aspire to come here. So that's, that's one of the reasons that F1 is targeted by a lot of destinations. is because of the, the doors are open. Just, you know, that's why Gene Haas has a Formula One team and not an IndyCar team. It's because he wanted, the, you know, NASCAR gave him the American recognition and racing side of things, but he needed the global marketing that Formula One could give him. And, and so... Who knows as well? If you can make a success of an F1 race here, then maybe that actually opens up conversations to someone like IndyCar. If they say, you know what, why can't we do that? Why can't we do that a few weeks later? Or why can't we do that you know, when we don't need to put up floodlights and do it in the daytime? Like th- Those conversations might actually be easier if everyone can make a success of this.
2: You know, Medlin, I think you know we've got Paul uh, Fanner here in the audience listening. And um, Paul, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness uh, now, but I'm pretty sure Marshall and I are going to have to report on scene with Medlin on behalf of racer for this event. Like, I I think it's somewhere in the small print. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but um, Marshall, you know, you made a good point there and kind of how, how it compares back and forth with our IndyCar stuff. Um, I'm, I'm most excited to see kind of how, I don't know how the IndyCar personalities respond to this over the coming hours, days on social media. And then of course, when we actually get to it, you know, how many of them are going to be there. You know, Is there an opportunity to have some interaction between the two sports on U.S. soil in a city like Las Vegas? Yeah, I
0: don't think that's going to happen at all. I think with all the gains that Formula One's been making, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that we are the most loved open-wheel property here, even though uh, they're only going to be here three times, even though only is a bit of a strange thing to say. But yeah, Uh, I don't think there's going to be any attempts at crossovers. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of credential requests. But yeah, if I'm Formula One, I'm saying, hey, thanks, uh, IndyCar. You guys do what you do. Congratulations, et cetera. We're here to eat your lunch and dinner. And I mean that's what real competition is. So my note earlier to Chris was just more of a little bit of sorrow that we didn't. uh, We, if I'm talking about IndyCar. Uh, Didn't seem to uh, come away with anything major here to offer in terms of a a new market uh, other than Nashville here recently. But Chris, I know that we don't have you, uh, Medland. I know that we don't have you here forever. So if y'all here in the audience have any questions for our man, Mr. Medland, raise your hand, send in a little request to speak, and we will try and get our man on the ground here to uh, answer whatever might come through. So, Mr. Medland, Tell us about coming out of the Saudi Grand Prix last weekend and straight into this. We had pretty much nothing but a lot of questions about, were you and others darn near captive um, in the principality there? Uh, y'all finally got out and got to go home after the race was held. But it seems to me that for you and many others, this might be a bit of a, a welcome transition from. Uh, bombings, uh, missile attacks, I should say, late nights, questions over whether the race would be held, learning that you all were certainly guests of uh, the government and would not be leaving until the race was held. And now maybe this feels a little bit like a return to normalcy for you.
1: Uh, well, so, yeah, it does. But the one thing I've got to sort of correct, and um, I don't blame you for picking on, up on it, but it was wrongly reported by the BBC, is that there was absolutely never any threat about anyone leaving. Um, that sport could have packed up and walked out of there, no trouble. It was that the uh, drivers were kind of spoken to at one point in their meeting about the fact that if they didn't race, then by the time they packed everything up, then there was going to be no uh, financial ability to reschedule the flights because the the time wouldn't actually be that much of a gain. So everyone would have to wait around anyway. The drivers themselves could get out, but their teams, the team members, would all have to wait around with the freight to pack it up, to send it to Melbourne because that's where it's going next. So security-wise, there was no gain to not do the race because uh, you weren't getting out any sooner or, or saving anyone in that sense. Um, but that got misconstrued or misunderstood by the BBC and reported as they were threatened with if you you might not be able to leave if you try and if you don't race. And that yeah, was I didn't. absolutely never the case. I wasn't uh, actually
0: referring to the BBC. I was referring to a conversation I had with a uh, friend who is a team member on a Formula One team uh, wow. and his insights on, wow. uh, at least from his perspective, it was very clear that uh, uh, a race must be delivered before they would be able to leave. So, But we're not here to argue that point so much. But tell me about this shift to what is nice and celebratory and has no dark cloud hanging over it. Does this push us? far enough away from last weekend's race to kind of move forward with a little bit of uh, of clean clarity and such
1: yeah i was gonna say like regardless what happened on, on the ground in jeddah and, and the fact that you know that that race was one that until the actual grand prix itself happened which was a, a great race on the track it was um yeah a, a strange atmosphere and, and one you kind of were, were keen to get done and get out from um to then yeah look forward to this was a completely different uh, vibe and atmosphere and like it was great to be excited about something moving forward with F1. You know, that they had actually been focused for a few days. Because you know, not everyone knew about this, this event happening or this announcement coming uh, today. They, they knew that Vegas was on the cards, but just not that we were going to be this close. Uh, and the focus was on you know, what F1 was going to do in the future with Saudi or other races it was going to go to and, and those difficulties. So then when you get to kind of flip it around and go, look at something cool we're doing in the future. Look at somewhere fun we're going next. Look at somewhere where we can see growth and success for the sport. Um, has been a really refreshing thing. And, you know, it's it's sometimes easy to get a bit carried away and kind of be like, well, it's going to be the best thing ever. And, and, you know, it doesn't always live up to it. Um, And I've already seen some people who generally aren't from the States going, why do we need three races uh, in one country? That's ridiculous, that sort of thing. But because the the audience is here, the growth potential is here, and because they've put together an event that is just going to be spectacular. Like, you can't take any more boxes with what they've done here. So that's a really cool place to be um and, and really nice to kind of yeah completely flip a switch from from the uh the difficulties of last weekend to go with something that kind of makes you excited and, and want to be part of f1 medlin
2: um i know it's probably way too soon to know this i personally like would like to be able to see the f2 guys um compete in person Do you think there's any possibility that we're going to be able to see that now moving forward with three events in the States, be able to see those teams travel over to this side of the
1: world for one of those? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't think it's uh, confirmed yet for any of the races, but I I can see it. I don't think it's on this year's calendar, but moving forward, I think with three events, we had Formula 3 scheduled at one stage to finish the season. I think it was at 2019. Um, in the US and then, or maybe it was even the 2020 calendar before COVID ruined everything. But um, for the Formula 3 teams to be looking at it, half of those are uh, run by the same outfits that run Formula 2 teams. So clearly there's a desire to do it um, and they can make it work financially. That tends to be the biggest thing is the freight costs and getting all the uh, equipment over to one of the US races for the junior categories. But I think now the interest in the sport is so big that it will filter down to um the junior categories too they're going to see value they're going to they're going to want to come and race in these places to talk to partners and sponsors and, and drivers and things so um yeah i'd actually be surprised for the next couple of years at least one of these doesn't have formula two um i imagine right now if you ask them they'd be desperate for it to be vegas as well because it would be a lot of fun but uh, most of those drivers would be too young to do anything here anyway so they should probably focus i reckon on cota um as a kind of the established racetrack but yeah i i think that that will happen in the future
2: Awesome. Well, we've got time, not, not a lot, but we've got just a little bit of time here before we try and roll this one up, this late night, hashtag red-eye edition of the Hashtag Racing Family Show. Go to question number one. Christopher Jones, welcome to the show, and uh, unmute yourself there. Yeah, thanks. Uh, maybe this is, I've got a question about the track, and this is maybe a little too detailed, but, uh, you know, the, the center of that track has, it's going to have thousands and thousands of, tens of thousands of people in there. It's a very populated area how are they going to get emergency vehicles and things like that into the middle of the track i know there's pedestrian bridges over a num over parts of the las vegas uh, boulevard and a number of other streets but how, how do they <laughs> how do they how are they going to keep uh you know uh, have access to the interior there uh for you know emergency services and things like that and and did they address
1: that uh yet so they haven't addressed that yet, but I mean, even just standing here looking at it, because the boulevard is so wide, it, it, the track is only going to be on one side of it. So um, I drove it today, the, as much of the layout as you can. There's still some sections that are to be built, like the, the first corner and where the start-finish straight will be in the pit and paddock complex. is on. It's going to be on what is currently just some like derelict land um, about two blocks off the strip. And then there's the MSG sphere that they're still building, and the track's going to go around that. and It's going to be a bespoke part of road that goes around it. Um, before rejoining uh, and then coming back down to the strip, but they 'll use one side i don 't know which side of the road they 'll use, but they 'll use one side for the racetrack, and then the other side will give them road access still for emergency vehicles so um, they will have placements and strategic placements for that, but for most street circuits anyway, what they tend to do is they do them on the outside of the corners. You know this is all part of the track design is that you kind of have a runoff area and you, the way the barriers are st- structured um you know because the likelihood is if you can have a big shunt it's going to be a braking zone or when you're racing wheel to wheel and then behind those barriers is where you have your your medical uh, setups because also then they can immediately drive away from the circuit they're not inside it they're on the outside edge so that's where most will be uh, the medical center tends to be a bit more centrally located but um yeah, I, I don't foresee any problems with that. I mean, when we go racing in Monaco and we do it safely, and that gets absolutely packed, and it's so tight and twisty, and there's just hardly any room to move there as a human, like on your feet, let alone in a vehicle. Uh, and then similarly, like Singapore, you know, they've done that in a, a tight night race street circuit. Baku again as well has some areas where the track kind of runs parallel to itself. They're well used to to working out where they need to strategically place. Uh, medical assistance, so that they can get quick access. So that won't be an issue. I I've, and I'm, I don't look around here and, and worry about that at all. Actually, you know the way that Vegas is set up, I look around and I feel like there's loads of space. I feel I don't think there's going to be anywhere where anyone really complains it's too tight. Um, apart from maybe that first sector they're going to going to build because they will probably try and fit more in than they should. But um, yeah, everywhere else there's, there's plenty of room, so no worries on that front. And, yeah, have and have they,
0: Christopher,
1: for uh, just they one
2: about where Port Lane would be.
1: Yeah, so that that's going to be. Um, at what is essentially if you turn i don't know if anyone can envisage this but if you come off the strip and turn left at planet hollywood so it's east Harmon avenue um you go a bit further down there about two blocks and just off to the left it'll be like a, a little bit of a left-hand kink that takes you off east Harmon, and that's going to be a purpose-built section where they're going to have where turn one will be uh turns one two and three uh, and on that section they'll also then build the pit and paddock complex so um it kind of doesn't Uh, interrupt the existing road infrastructure to have those bits. And that's similar to what they've done in Singapore too, where they use mainly uh, permanent roads, but then they had an extra section that they built around the marina where they built the, the pit and paddock complex so it could stay there all year round. It'd be used for other things, but it's always there, and then you just turn it into an F1 complex when you need to.
0: What I was attempting to say there, Christopher, is we don't have a situation like this where a race is announced to take place a little over a year from now And then they figure out where to put things. They've already done multiple design studies, keeping in mind that this layout, all the places where the track will go, there's a need to go and speak with all of those properties, all the businesses, every city-based organization, whether it's water, whether it's this, whether it's that, the amount of conversations and pre-planning that needs to be done before something like this would even get the green light to be spoken about is immense so things like how do they get emergency vehicles onto the track uh, they would be well past that point of figuring out such things before they would even get to announcing this why don't we welcome in motorsports by talk Uh, why don't you go ahead and unmute yourself the floor is yours we have chris medland racer.com formula one reporter at your pleasure
4: hey hello thank you everyone for doing this so late at night
0: My question is a little bit like into into the future, so might be a little early for this. Uh, But obviously, the contract is till twenty twenty five. But given uh, and you know the race is late in the calendar, so it'll be towards you know the end of the season. But given uh, the crescendo that F one is on right now in the U S., do you see in seven years from now, when the Abu Dhabi contract is about to expire,
4: that Las Vegas, uh, if it's still on the calendar, might be competing for that?
1: Final, final race bar oh, that's a tricky one um i'm I'm not too sure to be honest because there's a lot of money paid by Abby Dhabi to have that spot, and one thing that is different here is that Liberty media and F1 are going to help promote this race themselves, so it's not like they're getting a massive fee from someone to do that they're they're actually putting their own money in because they think they can make this event a success, but they can make a huge huge sum of money from another venue just by going right we're uh, we're going to go. Um, you know sell you the final race of the season so if anything i think the business model here if it works will mean that won't happen here but that's probably a reason why it's late in the season because i'll be intrigued in terms of the championship battle as well so um i think it will maintain always maintain a late season slot partly for the climate as well but um it won't be one that i can see being the final race i think they'll still still sell that to the highest bidder
0: james dar why don't you go ahead and unmute yourself here on the hashtag Racing the Family show, and uh, the floor is yours with uh, the the reporter I lovingly refer to as Snoop Medley Med.
5: <laughs> uh, so, we now have a U.S. Grand Prix East, West, and South. What's the best candidate for U.S. Grand Prix North, and why is it the Chicago Street Circuit from the movie Driven?
1: Oh, because I love Chicago and Driven's amazing movies. So, yes, let's make it happen. <laughs> Where's <laughs> Where's where's Greg McFagon and Stefano? They were here just now. I'll go and find them. I won't let them leave Vegas. And I told them we got to do that.
0: Can <laughs> we get can we get Jimmy Bly out of retirement? That's the big question
1: we got here. James I mean, we a- can do anything. Come on, uh, Look, we're racing on the strip. We can definitely do anything.
0: I love it. I love it. Let's see where do we go next, Mr. Wheeler? Why don't we invite Tim Berryman to speak? Tim, uh, connecting here. Go ahead and unmute yourself. We're uh, down to the last couple of questions. From man Mr. Medland, any uh the rest of you here for this late night jam. If you want to get in a final question, raise your hand. We'll do our best, send in a request.
4: Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Tim Berryman. Uh, yeah, I just wondered with all the billions of dollars in Formula One, how is IndyCar so much more advanced in their car crash response? I mean, Romain Grosjean luckily survived his accident, and there was only like one guy there with a fire extinguisher that would never handle pads and condition.
1: So, I got a question like this actually for the racer mailbag that uh, I think went live today or go live tomorrow. Um, And so, based on what was happening in Jeddah, I agree there was a bit too much of a wait for. Uh, helped to get some drivers when they had crashes, that wasn't smoothly done. They'd handed over the marshalling to locals, having been helped by Bahrainis for the first race, and I think it was a bit too soon, and everything was a bit too slow. But I totally disagree where we say it was luck that Grosjean walked away, or it was a luck that Schumacher walked away. The, the safety procedures and demands of an F1 car, one of the reasons they're so heavy and it's so hard for them to pass crash tests is because they demand so much safety from them. That a driver can get out and walk away from some of the most outrageous accidents, and you know it was it was Grosjean's the fact that his fire suit and his gloves and his helmet had to be able to withstand something like that that he was trapped in a fire, and he was able to climb out of it. It was the fact that the halo was there to to protect his head when he went through a when he went through a barrier. Like in in some cases as well, it's designed for stuff to rip off to dissipate energy. So the cars themselves that they've uh, designed are amazingly amazingly safe, and that is one of the things I think is underappreciated. That said, yes, there should have been better stuff at Jeddah. And there are certain other circuits where I do feel they're a little bit slow at their reaction times or with the way that we place um, medical assistance. And I think it's partly because they're, they're a bit wary of going to a driver after a big crash and, and tending to them if they're not fully medically qualified. And I think that shows a lack that we need more fully medically qualified marshals around the circuit, basically. So they can be whoever's can do something rather than that they just get there and wait for the medical cut to arrive. Uh, so yeah, there, there was a bit of a, I was a bit disappointed at the, the speed of reaction uh, at Jeddah and I'd like to think that Formula One's going to learn from that and try and improve things. Uh, but yeah, I, I will also then defend the safety of the cars themselves, which I just think is incredible.
0: Mr. Medlin, it sounds like you're having to help uh, collect all the dishes and utensils behind you and, and wash those up. So I think this is the point where we need to say a massive thank you to you for taking time out of uh, what is a work night and you're not done working. So let's say everyone, a big thank you. Send some hearts and some waves and whatnot to Chris for uh, working us into his busy schedule. We can stay on here for just a little while longer. And if any of you have questions, you think that Mr. Wheeler and I might flag in his absence. Otherwise, Snoop Medley Med, thank you as always, brother.
1: Thank you all. I've got to do some recording now for Racer, and then I've got to go on the radio, and then I've got to do some writing at least I'm not somewhere distracting, it's all right. But anyway, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks,
2: Medlin. Appreciate it. Safe travels, man. All right, Marshall. What, uh, what are your thoughts here? I just want to get your kind of, your absorbing take so far of what we've kind of gone through here so far.
0: I think that I've got our cat, Rocky, who is staring at me because he wants a snack. And this is when he starts turning into a little dick and meowing and acting a fool and clawing up the back of uh, my chair. So that's the first thing I think, because he's currently staring at me and wanting to bite the phone. But after that, I love this. Again, I know how I make my living covering North American motor racing, open wheel and sports cars. I am a little protection minded in terms of wanting to see my home products succeed first and foremost, but man, this is just one of those things where I look at formula one and say, you know what? You're Kicking our ass. And you are thinking big and being inventive. And you're using this wave of momentum you've generated here in the U S to advance yourself even farther. And as I said, towards the open, I sure wish we were having this conversation about some of our domestic series, thinking this big, pulling off such big things. But in the absence of that, Chris, I just have to say massive props to Liberty Media, Formula One, et cetera, et cetera. Yet again, they're making big headlines for doing big things. How can you not respect their game?
2: Uh, I I think it's right. I mean, I think it's mad respect across the board. I also... Yeah, of course. Like, I'm a little bummed, right? Like, just like you, I mean, I make a good chunk of all of my careers so that I'm trying to balance on the North American open wheel kind of stage. But at the same time, man, I, I, I you know, racing popularity in the States is good for all levels, right? I, I think that, yeah, there's a kind of a, a line in the sand there that you can't cross where one really doesn't affect the other. But I mean, Having people get in new fans in motorsports in general is going to help all of us across the board, Um, because they've all now have a common topic to speak to with somebody at work, at a reunion, at at, you know, at a a neighborhood grill, um, in the block party type thing, whatever it may be. Um, And they're going to say, "Hey, did you watch? You know, did you see F1s coming to Vegas? Yeah, actually, we're big IndyCar fans, et cetera." So you never know how it costs up in the fans and. and and help bring more fans to IndyCar or NASCAR. Or, heck, if, if you're a NASCAR fan and a Kyle Larson fan, it might bring somebody into the dirt world. So I think it's just going to be good for North American motorsports regardless.
0: I agree. And why don't we welcome in Matthew Marsh, F1, who also just sent a LinkedIn request to me. So, hey, uh, double the fun from Matthew Marsh, F1. The floor
3: is yours, sir. Thank you, Marshall. I'm a big fan of your work, obviously. Anybody who's a motorsport fan would be. Um Obviously very Well, that's silly of you, but thank Formula you. Three Formula One Grand Prix. <laughs> you're too, you're too uh, whatever the word is. Too fine. Um, three Formula One Grand Prix in the United States next year. What chance do you think that we'll have one American driver, and who might it be by next year?
0: I think it's obvious to say Colton Hurdard just because we know he's the only American open wheel racer with plans to be testing a Formula One car here at some point in 2022. I would love to say Pato Award, as he told us here in Racer in a bit of a breaking piece a couple of weeks ago about him looking to the future and not being entirely sure if McLaren is included in that future. Uh, there were no plans mentioned that he knew of uh, of continuing formula one testing with McLaren. So again, I'd love to mention Pato right alongside Colton as, and I realize Pato is Mexican, but I just thinking here in general, North America, Latin America, Canada and whatnot. I'd love to say Colton and Pato, but right now I think it's truly Colton and Colton alone. Would formula one take a greater interest in making sure that happened now that we will have three races, that to me, Matthew, might be the biggest question to follow in terms of, uh, not just in the weeks and months ahead in terms of news, but for reporters out there, I think that would be a really interesting thing to ask if it hasn't already been done with, uh, Stefano Domenicali, uh, Mr. Maffei, obviously from Liberty can tell you from what I've heard yeah, there's been an interest in getting an American into form an American into formula one Colton, maybe being the tip of that spear, but not so much as to really go out of anyone's way to facilitate that. So I do wonder now three races coming up, maybe formula one has a newfound reason to ensure that Colton has all the super license points that he needs. And uh, I'm not aware of a 2023 race seat sitting out there waiting for him to take up but uh, if they want to have someone who I think is in terms of talent closer than anyone else in for- in IndyCar to being ready to go and perform uh, there's something here I just then also with that protectionist mindset Matt don't want to uh, don't want to give up Colton that kid should be a 10-time IndyCar champion five-time Indy 500 winner and an all-time great. But, yeah, the reasons for F1 to try and pull him in, I have to think they're stronger than ever before.
2: You know, Marshall, you, you, I agree. I think Colton is going to be you're the leading candidate, but I don't see it in 23. And I think when we go to having multiple rounds in the U.S. to, to make it to three rounds, I guess, um, I think our only shot at seeing an American on track on those weekends will be is. It's going to be a Logan Sargent in a in an FP one role um, with Williams and his development deal, and that's just he's he's our furthest one we've got there, and I see him as being the the leading candidate to be able to be on track.
0: Yeah, I would also say farthest away in terms of development, and that's not meant to be mean or critical of Logan. Just the kid is nowhere is near as far along as someone like Colton, who in just a couple of years at IndyCar, you know, barely, <laughs> just barely uh, legal to drink here uh, and and to rent a rental car. The kid already has, what, six IndyCar wins so far uh, and has become a, a championship contender. Logan, on the other hand, still working his way up the, uh, the ladder system, but in a good position at Williams. Uh, why don't we welcome in a friend of mine, Declan Brennan, one of the funniest people that I know. I don't know why you're still up at this hour, you crazy bastard. But Dex, why don't you unmute yourself, uh, join in, and give us your thoughts on learning that three Formula One races in America. Uh, how does that resonate with uh, this beautiful son of Ireland? This is the part where you unmute yourself, Dex, and talk.
6: It's incredibly logical. There you the, go. It is. And it's It's. And it's, it's. got kind of, we're not far off having, I'm old enough to, see this as having some level of historical precedent. Uh, interestingly, I don't necessarily feel there's a correlation between a American star and continued growth of Formula One in the United States. I th- actually think they can achieve that without... Th- th- they're not uh, tied together, I don't believe. I think, interestingly enough... And this might be to IndyCar's detriment. I don't necessarily believe IndyCar's fan base is big enough to really make that much difference in terms of of trans you know transferring that interest and growing what's the the level of interest in Formula One that's already in the United States. So, and that's uh, that may be a slightly cynical view, but I I think. Three races can survive irrespective of whether or not an American star is, uh, is competing in Formula One. I think they've done such a good job in packaging the product, uh, it, 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 particularly over the last two to three years, that I don't necessarily believe uh, it would be in any way uh, uh, mandatory to have a young American. I think it, it can not help, or sorry, it can't but help, but I don't think it's necessary.
0: agree with you brother agree with you there for sure uh let's see who else should we welcome in dan ristine why don't you uh you were just here a couple days ago on the show uh why don't you join us here from lovely indiana and share your thoughts about learning good old usa is going to be hosting a heck of a bunch of formula one races next year
4: thanks thanks mp um and uh good to see you, mr wheeler and, and everybody else um I was just thinking today as I was driving uh, home and passing by Andretti Autosport on on Zionsville Road, um, how big it could be uh, for an American F1 team uh, to really kind of be an American F1 team. I I know that they kind of their their aspirations seem to be to have a base of operations here, and of course one you know, maybe in Europe to just, just from a simple logistical standpoint. Um And Colton is obviously the, you're right. Colton's the guy, like, I don't see it going any other way. Um But I I think that there is a problem for a lot of us. And I'm going to say us in the IndyCar community, because yeah, you're right, Marshall, like we, we, we want our thing to be the thing, right? And we want it to be our thing in on these shores, and and we want it to be. And then we want to go to you know, are we going to go back to Australia? Are we going to are we going to do what are, all the thing all the international things that IndyCar used to do? How do we get back to doing that? And I don't know. Maybe it seems that the opportunity for a real, and I don't mean to drag on Haas, Uh, I'm not doing that, but um, to see a crossover from IndyCar directly to Formula One, that could be the real key to expanding the IndyCar brand globally. Um, I think we need to call it, and Declan, maybe you can
0: share some insights. I think we need to dig up and see if we can get the trademark to USF1. Maybe that's the thing that we haven't discussed tonight that we really, really should.
6: Yeah. Please don't, please don't make me go through all of that again.
4: <laughs> well, we, we suffered a lot here in Indianapolis over, uh, over Formula One in the last 20 years. It was, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't great. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> but can I
6: ask you a genuine question? Is that, uh, is there, is there a real belief that, they're the same audience and the reason I ask that is that because there's always been a divide between those who enjoy IndyCar and and those who enjoy Formula 1 there's obvious crossover the Venn diagram is not a dot it is a you know there, there is overlap but uh Recently, F one has certainly positioned itself very differently, and and it, it doesn't. There doesn't seem to be anything about the current messaging from F one in the United States that lends uh, any acknowledgement to to current open wheel or the open wheel environment in the United States. Or it's it seems to be ploughing a furrow completely independent of that, and that's kind of the point I was making earlier, and and. It, it doesn't seem like it's giving any latitude to IndyCar to help. And I, I don't know enough about for, for what's happening inside Indianapolis and inside Indiana, but it feels like it's a very separate thing right now, even though there are things like McLaren, there's, there's overlap, but it does feel very, very separate.
0: I'd love to get Paul Fanner's thoughts on this. Paul, why don't you uh, unmute yourself? Cause you're a man who knows all the metrics about. about who's consuming what uh, on racer.com. I can just give you a quick little anecdote, Dex, uh, before handing off to Paul. And that is having been a Formula One fan since the late 70s, always trying to keep tabs on what's happening wherever I might be, whether it's back in the day when I was working as a crew member or in the media now, always trying to keep tabs of the F1 race, what's going on, where. And often in IndyCar media centers or wherever it might be, uh, it might just be, might have just been me or one or two others, but for the most part, if it wasn't IndyCar or NASCAR, no one gave a crap or was trying to ask the folks there to put it on the TV. It was really fascinating to see at the Texas Motor Speedway IndyCar event just a week and a half ago, half of the media in there were watching it on their phones, on their tablets, on whatever, cheering, rooting. And I mean some folks who I know for sure who have been in those same... Uh, media centers with for many years never gave a fart about f1 and i have to say the drive to survive phenomenon certainly applies to even some of the uh, hardened scribes who never knew never cared but now are yelling and shouting with this pass and that pass and damn you latifi and i'm going wow this is come on quick uh and it wasn't by coincidence it has to be uh, the drive to survive effect but what do you see, Paul? What do you see from a audience? Is there a traveling tribe between IndyCar and F one fandom? Do you think?
5: Well, absolutely, Marshall, and, and uh, this has been really interesting and exciting to listen to tonight. By the way, I, uh, before I answer the question, I do want to point out that uh, the very first press trip uh, I went on representing our company in 1980 was uh, to the press announcement for the uh, Caesars Palace Grand Prix, and I what, wrote uh, an wow. I rode in a pace car with Tom Jones and uh, I can still smell his cologne on my clothes. But the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the other important thing for the uh, listeners to know is that our company designed the logo for USF one and also for the GP America track and Weehawken. So we, uh, thank God they didn't hire us here or it'd be a failure. But, um, the metrics tell, tell a story over the last two years. Uh, Racer.com has grown by 132% in users. So we're at, we're, last year we were just shy of 11 million unique users uh, for the year. And the fastest growing segment was Formula One at 52% growth year over year. And the next one up was uh, NASCAR at 48%. IndyCar is the leading category, but IndyCar was uh, at 9% growth. So the Looking at that, IndyCar has a big audience on our site. Um, More than a quarter of the audience is primarily devoted to IndyCar, but we do see crossover. Certainly on the weekends, you can look at where they go, basically moving through the pages and so forth. And they are looking at both things. We have enough crossover drivers, and there's enough good coverage available now to where I think you're getting kind of a general interest in top level, elite level open wheel racing, which is good for. IndyCar, it's certainly good for Formula One. Thank you,
0: sir. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, why don't we welcome in Bradley? Bradley Lewis, you've been waiting so patiently on mute. Uh, we're going to go to you for our final question for the night. And then Mr. Wheeler is going to give us one of his patented closings. The floor is yours.
3: Okay. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, actually, I'm one of those new Formula One fans due to drive, sur- drive to survive. So uh, that's me.
0: It's all um, Günther Steiner swearing. Go ahead and admit it here. <laughs> Just kidding, Bradley.
3: Um, so my, it's kind of I have two questions, but one of them's really short. It, but the first question is: since all, all I've seen reported is that the the race is going to fall in one of two weekends at the end of November, is that going to be following U.S. Thanksgiving? Do you all know that? Um, I haven't seen it reported yet.
0: Yeah, Mister, our our pal Chris medlin thought that uh it might fall on thanksgiving weekend which for those who are prone to go to las vegas uh i don't think they would even care but for a lot of other folks who are used to a traditional winding down week and being with family and recharging batteries and such uh, i think that could be a bit of an issue here for domestic audience bradley but I also have to acknowledge the obvious thing. If you look at circuit of the Americas, what we think is going to happen at Miami, it's a massive fly in traveling crowd. So do I think domestic audience is going to be massive on Thanksgiving weekend? If that is the date they go with, maybe not. If it wasn't a, one of the couple of biggest American holidays, but also knowing how many folks fly in for this event, uh, I don't think there are going to be a lot of, uh, spare tickets left.
3: Yeah, I was thinking that uh, it would be a big thing because that's normally like the last weekend of college football, also big rivalry games that day. Um, I just thought it would be like the perfect end to a big sports weekend anyway. But the other part of my question is it kind of gets cold in Las Vegas at the end of November. Um, It can sometimes get below freezing. Uh, So I, I assume that they, of course, have already looked into all this. I don't really recall that normally... You know, a night race in Las Vegas might be below freezing. I'm sure they have looked into that heavily. Uh, I just didn't know what you all think that it might have a factor or what you all thought about that.
0: Well, since it seems like Red Bull does about half their videos of F1 cars on ice or snow, I think we already know who's going to be on pole <laughs> and who's going to win there. But uh, Wheeler, knowing that uh, the scoops of the supernats are, yep. are often late year uh, things in Las Vegas. What comes to mind there in terms of timing and potential weather?
2: Yeah, so uh, that was what I was going to say. Good, good job, Marshall. Good job. Um, you know, traditionally we're in Vegas for the Supernats karting event the week prior to Thanksgiving week, um, and man, it does get cold, right? Like it's the the pools aren't open, no matter what where you're at. Um, the sun goes down and the jackets come out. Jackets are around to about ten a.m. You get about a six-hour window of sunshine and, and maybe like a windbreaker. Definitely not shorts and flip-flops, bikinis and bottle service. Um, it's just it's not that time of year there, which I don't know. I mean, you know, most people think they're going to go do a big party for Formula One. You know, you're going you're gonna to have everything out. But who knows? Global warming. I don't know. A, a fan turned on by a foreign country that's going to produce heat waves. I have no idea. Um, Formula One's capable of shutting down Las Vegas Boulevard. Maybe they're capable of changing the weather. Um, you know the one thing we haven't discussed, Wheeler. This might be the most important thing of this whole topic of
0: F1 in Las Vegas in 2023. What's the over and under? How many drivers and or team members are going to get locked up? How many folks are going to touch when they were instructed not to touch well, and gonna, to do illicit things? There a lot of things there. for sale on the strip
5: that I'm going to uh, go there. The police and I'm gonna don't stay like. It
2: even though some people might think uh, too soon, but Mazepin's out. I'm not worried about the behavior anymore.
5: Jesus, here we go.
0: You know, I know some of the people that work in formula one and
2: you know, uh, yeah,
0: I, I, let's just say that someone would be wise to have a, a Uber or something waiting from whatever the local police precinct is back and forth to the paddock. Cause yeah, I think we're going to get some folks uh, with mug shots. That might, that might be fun. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, why don't you take us home? Thank you to everybody uh, for joining in for this late night F one discussion, all of the uh, the folks who not just asked questions, but lent their knowledge, and also to Chris Medland, who just sent a uh, little text thanking everyone yet again for participating. So Mr. Wheeler, take us home,
2: brother. Well, Mr. Pruitt, and this we we twenty six hour twenty six minutes into the new day edition of the Hashtag Racing Family. want to thank everybody for joining us. Of course, Medlin, Pruitt, Paul Fanner, Declan, all of our questions that were asked, all of our fans, friends that joined us. You know, tonight's closing is going to be kind of based upon what we've just witnessed. No matter how high the mountain, no matter how wide the river, if you want to climb it, you want to cross it, you can do it. Sometimes you've got to do it in ways that that you didn't think about the first time, and that's the beauty of, of it. Never give up on your dreams. Never give up on your hope. If you want to promote a race and shut down Las Vegas Boulevard, you can do it. It doesn't matter what the stakes are. doesn't matter what the goal is. As a human being, you have enough brain and enough resources around you that if you work smart, work hard, anything's possible. That's my closing thoughts for the night. Of course, thank you to our partners at Cooper Tire, at Toronto Motorsports, and of course, Justice Brothers. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this Red Eye edition of the hashtag Racing Family show. For myself, I'm Chris Wheeler, and my esteemed co-host Marshall Pruitt. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon right here on the hashtag Racing Family.